Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer and music product industry specialist, John Geiger. John began his love for music and drumming at an early age and spent his early band years playing on the Sunset Strip in California. John pursued his music passion by creating a multi-decade career in the music product industry. John has spent over 30 years working in this industry with iconic brands such as Yamaha, Diodario, Korg, and Zildjian. John currently plays with the Scotty Mac Band, whose regional success led to opening slots for national touring acts like Brett Young, Tyler Farr, Phil Vassar, Lee Bryce, and Chase Rice. The band performs at festivals around the country, including Night in the Country, Country Fan Fest, Oregon Jamboree, Country Thunder, Coastal Country Jam, among others. Although the band originated in Southern California, the band has relocated to Nashville, where they perform on a regular basis. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So John's title with Zildjian and Vic Firth is National Accounts Manager. We get into what that job entails, but more importantly, later in the conversation, we get into endorsements and kind of how things have changed. John has been part of this industry since the mid to late 80s, and uh, I think some of this stuff is important to understand if you're looking for uh, companies to endorse. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways is... Companies don't endorse their artists. Artists endorse the company, and we get into that, and I find it fascinating. I, I hope you do, too. So here's my conversation with John Geiger. You know it's just a summer thing. It don't mean much of anything. I got a long road ahead of me. The best days of my life. There's a world I gotta see. Think what you want of me. The last thing that I need is a reason to stay behind And I'm sure she's gonna miss me when I'm gone But it's just a summer thing I'm, I'm 18, I'm working for a high-performance motorcycle shop as a runner Like, so I'm showing up after high school and just doing all the pickup and deliveries and as I'm standing there, one of the guys, I look over and one of the shops near us is clearing out. And the guy says to me, um, you're a drummer, right? <laughs> and I go, yeah. He goes, this guy, he's got some drum set over here he wants to sell. Oh, yeah. And I go, I'll, you know, I'll look at anything. I'll look <laughs> at anything. So I went walking over. And as I get close, my, my heart starts to beat. 67, Champagne Sparkle, 
naked 20, 16, matching 14. Oh, wow. Okay. Original heads on it from 67. And it's just been in a corner. All the hardware. It's dusty. Now I start to panic because I'm 18 years old and I may have, maybe have 20 bucks. Maybe. <laughs> I turn to my buddy who's with me and I go, how much money do you have? And he goes, I have $50. I go, I go, give me, give me all 50, give me all your money. Like I'll pay you back tomorrow. Like, and yeah. he goes, he goes, whoa, 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 hold on. Hang on. He goes, you want this? I go, yeah, I'd really like to have it. So he says to the guy, so uh, what do you want for it? And, and the guy is clearly pissed because he's going out of business or something. And he kind of just looks me in the eye and he goes, do you fucking want this or not? And I go, well, it's pretty small. I guess I could use it for practice. I don't know, 20 bucks. He goes, fine. <laughs> I hand him the $20 and run yeah, to right. my car. Exactly. I own that kit. I'm 59 years old. I own that kit to this day. And it's yeah. something I, won't, I will not part with. Yeah. And even my son, I have a 30-year-old son who's a drummer as well, came up through the marching side of it and says to me regularly, are you sure you should be taking that kid out? I go, why? He goes, well, I figured you'd probably leave it to me when you pass. So I go, oh, what are we doing? Protecting our investment? <laughs> <laughs> there is just something about those, man. And, and I never thought I'd see the day when... I would have something that I wouldn't take out because I met a lot of people when I was working retail and they said, oh yeah, well that doesn't leave the house. I'm like, well, why do you have it? Well, now I'm doing gigs where you never know what the weather's going to be outdoors, what the traveling is going to be like. And I've got that kit that um, survives those kinds of situations. And then the 71 Ludwig stays at home and is mic'd up and does everything from modern to vintage stuff well, beautifully. They they look horrible inside. Mm-hmm. They're painted white. Mm-hmm. The bearing edges are horrendous by today's standards. Yeah. And my I let my son use it for a gig he did. And so I got the chance to stand out front, actually listen to the sound guy, do kit after kit after kit, everybody about their own kit in. Same mic, same room, same sound man, same mm. sound system. Wow. And they sound amazing wow and they look like absolute crap inside what can you say i i and i I feel like this is interesting so when i i read something in a drum forum thing uh that i had mentioned to you that i thought this is kind of an interesting question i can't think of anybody that could address this topic better than you uh and i came across it and, and the question was do these drum manufacturers use their high-end products to inspire research and development? And you have experience with Yamaha and use them as an example. That was really cool. Could you readdress that? Sure. I thought it was really cool. First of all, yeah, I think that most companies come out with a high-end product. Normally, that's artist or mm-hmm. innovation-driven internally. Mm-hmm. And then as they recognize the volume of sales for something that's very high end, that can be very expensive. Yeah. They start to look at how they might change it in a way that would make it more accessible to the masses. And you look at Yamaha, you bring up Yamaha. I worked for Yamaha. That was how I started in the industry in 1987. Uh, Started as an inside sales person, Uh, cut my hair and started wearing a tie and quit my rock band and as I figured I actually wanted a car and a house and 
<laughs> um, but those guys recognize that if, if they create, think of like lugs or hardware parts or anything like that, and think of how universal they are in a company like Yamaha. This mm. top fits in that base, fits in this, right? In the way those guys work. If they can build a hundred lugs, it costs them a certain amount of money. If they can build 10,000 lugs, it costs them a lot less. Right. And so a lot of times you'll see those innovations make their way down into more reasonably priced kits because they own the molds, they have this. And so you end up with really hardware that maybe started on a, a five or $6,000 kit that now is in something that's five or 600 bucks. Right. So yes, without question, I think all of, at least the main manufacturers that I've worked for look at it and say, how do we apply it towards something that instead of selling 10 of, we might sell a hundred or a thousand of. I think that's what's confusing for a lot of us. We see the ads, we see the high profile player and their kit, and we're inspired whether it's, we're a new player, a young player, or a, a working drummer that maybe doesn't, can't afford this boutique line that Yamaha puts out or that Craviato puts out. And yet, how do we connect the dots? And understanding the business model of what some of these companies do, I think, is helpful in understanding what it is that you want, what it is that you're trying to achieve with your sound. Uh, and so much evolved. We're talking about vintage kits from the 1960s and right. 70s. Right. Then the 80s came through, Japanese manufacturing. Right. How it inspired American manufacturing um, and vice versa connecting the dots from the high-end kit, the artist, to the low-end kit, and back to the high-end kit, you know. Well, th there's so much artist development that goes on with all of this stuff. And if you go back to the stories about Takahashi Hagiwara, you know, Hagi, who is essentially the, the guru of all things Yamaha drums, I had the privilege of working with him and got to know him. He's the one that introduced me to Steve Gadd, which... Uh, is a great story, but, um, and also w the Zildjian story, you know, what I do today, those guys would go out to the shows and they would, in the case of like uh, Armand Zildjian, they would go, they would go to New York City from Boston. They would take these symbols, they would put them in front of the best players in the world. Those players would play them. They would make suggestions. I don't like this. I don't like that. I do like this. I do like that. They would take them back under their arm. They'd go back to the factory. they make changes. Mm -hmm. And they would come back. Mm -hmm. Hoggy did the same thing. Hoggy used to sit in the back of Budokan and all these other places, and drummers would come through. And it's so funny. He used to always tell me, and they were on the drugs. He would always say, they were always on the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but they picked apart all of that hardware all of those, you know, bearing edges and the way they sounded. And, but he took all of that stuff to heart and made those changes based on those artist directions. Mm. And we have things like recording customs and we have things like a custom symbols. And we have all these things that are now considered standard things within our industry that really came from artist development and their interaction with guys who were playing. I think the stage custom is a perfect example of that. It looked like a recording custom. It sounded great out of the box. Right. Yeah. It's a, the two, I get asked, you know, 35 years in the business, what's changed the most? And this is always my answer. Number one, 
35 years ago, I would never have played a low-end kit. They sucked. They were horrible. I would take any of the major manufacturer's drum kits today. Mm -hmm. Pearl, Ludwig, Yamaha, go down the list. Yeah. Put good heads on it and take to a gig and play it. And not be even remotely ashamed of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that wasn't that way 30 years ago or 40 years ago. The other thing is recording. You know, it used to be to get great recording. You spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and tons and tons of time in a studio. And now you hear over and over again, oh, yeah, that was a demo thing. So-and-so did. And they released it. Right? They did it in a home studio with a laptop and a few microphones. Right. Or it was a, it was a kit that, you know, the producer had in the corner and they, they were crunched for time and that's what worked. And with compression and EQ and everything else. Yeah. yeah think about that. Think about how much it's changed in yes. just those two or three decades. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Tell me what's your title today what are you doing today well i'm um not right now i know what you're doing right (laughs) right this minute (laughs) um what are we doing john why are we here seriously (laughs) well i always say i i'm multiple things and and um it's funny when it first of all i'm very very flattered that you asked me to do this of course man because i um i don't necessarily always think that my how i've gotten it to where i'm at is unique. But the more I talk to people about it, the more I hear, wow, that's a really interesting story. Or it's amazing that this is happening at this season. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm 15, I'm going to be 60 years old in February, right? This is a very different season. Most of my friends, most of my wife and I's friends are trending down and thinking about how to get out of work and try to mm-hmm. not run around so much and not jump in the back of a nine passenger van it's a different time man as well though you know i think that people have choices we have the ability to make choices on how we want to live in different seasons of our lives and to just adopt the the old way of thinking it's like well this is what you do when you reach this age you don't do this anymore you do that fuck that man (laughs) i always say my mom lives in a leisure world in seal beach california and and I drive through there to go see her and a guy pulls by me with mountain bikes on the top of his car yes. or kayaks on the top of his car. I love it. It's a very, 55 is very different than yep. it was a few decades ago. Yeah. So back to your question. Um, my current title is I'm national account manager for Zildjian or the Avid Zildjian company. And with Zildjian is, of course, Zildjian Symbols. I think most people know that we own the Vic Firth stick company. Mm-hmm. And I think now most people know that they also, the family also owns the Balter Mallet company as well. Mm-hmm. So those three brands um, I represent. Okay. And then, of course, um, how you and I met is I'm the drummer for Scott McLaughlin and Scotty MacBan. I'm one of the actually founding members. He and I met on <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> My joke is, in, you know, in the uh, uh, adult section, but. Um, the casual encounter section. That. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but um, so I do, I kind of do both things. Right, right. In the industry, playing, juggling many different things. Right. We're here in, well, we're actually in Murfreesboro, just outside Nashville, right. where you're spending some time, but you're also, California's home. Yeah, California's home. I'm here about, I don't know, 10, 12 days a month at this point. Yeah. Uh, but what you, you know, Part of what you overheard is my wife and I seeking something 
here. So uh, whether or not it becomes full time, I mean, I have three grown children and two aging parents, and you know, I can't, I don't know that I will ever not have a foothold in California. Right. But um, this lifestyle is one that I I really enjoy. The amount of music that happens around here is is crazy, and the amount of opportunity to play music here is far greater than it is in California. And um, the older I get, the more I'm not sure that I'm a good fit for California anymore. Interesting. As much as I, I literally grew up there, I literally live in the town I was born in. So what is what are some? So let's call this the day gig, right? With Zildjian, mm-hmm. what are some of your responsibilities? What well, does that mean? <laughs> well, the responsibility for me today is I am solely responsible for the Guitar Center organization. Or enterprise. Yeah. So I take care of every component of that, which is music and arts, musician's friend, guitar center, all the entities that are theirs, okay. uh, I am responsible for. I fly a little bit at 30,000 feet. Um, I directly interact with their buyers, their category managers, uh, their planners, and um, and the directors of their what's called called the Dambo division, which includes drums okay, and accessories and, and all that. So yeah. pretty much if anything gets bought through Guitar Center, I had some role in getting it into there for consumers to, to look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just passed, by the way, I just passed 11 years with Oh, my with gosh. But, but this started early on. Uh, we talked about Yamaha mm-hmm. and um, eight, I'm trying to think, in 1987. Started with Yamaha in 1987. Um, was looking for something to do within the music industry. I was a, I was a rock kid. You know, I played on the Sunset Strip and I did all of that stuff. And the thought of living five guys in a one bedroom apartment somewhere <laughs> off the Strip <laughs> that stopped stopped appealing to me. And I thought, man, I'd really like to own a new car and maybe a house someday. Man, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I. It's one of the things I'll, I'll give my ex-wife. Uh, I think my my wife will probably be okay with what I'm about to say. But she said, um, you, you either stop complaining and do something about it or or just shut up. I don't want to hear this anymore. Right. Uh, I was working in the lawn and garden industry, which was my father's industry, and I was kind of being groomed. I've always held a day job. Like, I've always held a day job. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of being groomed to take over his business. He was a manufacturer's rep. And I just couldn't. It just didn't excite me, you know. I'm playing drums at night, and I like, yeah. love music, and and so I'm I'm uh, starting to seek out something in the music business. At, at that time, I think Simmons was in town, JBL's there, Yamaha's there. Um, there's a number of uh, QSCs in Southern California, but a number of fairly sizable companies. And so I, of course, put back in the that was back in the day. You did it by letter. You know, oh my you gosh! Sent letter and you sent right. stuff out and. And getting no response at all. I mean, literally none. And I'm playing at a club in Lakewood, City Limits. In fact, you and I talked about it, and I remembered the name of the club. It was called City Limits. And this couple walk in. They are hammered, but they love the band. <laughs> yeah. And the girl comes up to me and says, man, I really like the band, and, and I'm glad to see you guys using Yamaha equipment. I was uh, playing Yamaha kit at the time, and we had, I think, Yamaha PA gear at the time. And I said, why? And she goes, why well, work at Yamaha? Yeah. And I said, man, I'm trying to get somebody to even call me back. I can't get anything done. She said, call me, hands me her business card. 
And I'm thinking, she'll never remember she'll this. She'll never even remember me. <laughs> <laughs> About two days later, I called. She immediately said, oh, that's right. You're the drummer for the band Culprit. Really liked you guys. Here's what we're looking for, customer service people, which is what I was doing at the time. And um, I interviewed, I think, two weeks later and started well, four or five weeks after that and have been, now it's been a little over 35 years. At the time when you started, we were thinking, this is it. Is this the direction I'm going to go? Were you trying it out? Were you like, I think I've found it? I, I, I'm kind of an all-in kind of a guy yeah. most of the time. And um, in that particular case, I quit playing in my band. I cut my hair. Started wearing slacks, a shirt, and a tie every day but Friday, which only meant no tie. Still had slacks and a shirt. <laughs> and um, I, I, I kind of went all in on it. And I was, you know, I was young. I, I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. I did, had really no responsibility. And I kind of went with, well, if I'm going to take a chance, now's the time to take the chance, right? Yeah. And see if it's a fit. And the interesting part for me is I was the only guy that was a customer service rep. Everybody else was women. Interesting. So that played well for me in some ways and poor for me in other ways. There was some jealousy around, oh, they brought this guy in and he'll be promoted above us. And, you know, I got, I took a little bit of that flack. And this is like mid to late eighties. I mean, absolutely. But I I made a, I had a girl, Carol Rubin that I worked with and I I hope she's doing okay. She and I talked and, and I said to her, you know, here's the difference. If if they let me be a rep and told me I needed to call in Iowa, I would move. I said, are you ready to move? And her response was, well, I, you know, I have a husband and I have a family and I have that. I go, well, there's the difference. Don't be mad if I make it, if I kind of transition through the ranks mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm willing to do the things it takes to get to that next spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it took me, it took me seven years. It took me seven years five interviews i got declined for every single one and till the final one and one of the guys uh who i know has passed i don't remember his name but he said to me you don't have any retail music experience and we don't put guys out in the field as salespeople unless you have retail music experience and he said do you want to get some and i was like (laughs) shaking my head no but going yes so there was a, a retailer in southern california called jim's music center he had two stores. He had one in Placentia and one in Irvine. The guy made a call for me, and I worked every weekend for free for, wow. for Rob Jolie, uh, who I think, believe it or not, I think I read the other day lives in Nashville now. <laughs> um, I worked every weekend for free for a year so that when I sat down for that final interview, I was able to say to uh, Mike Bennett, who hired me as a rep, gave me my first rep job. I said, listen, I know you got guys with more experience, but let me tell you what I've done. I've done this and this and this, and I did work for free, and I did this. I said, if you got a guy that has that much heart, hire him. And if not, hire me. And I stood up, and I walked out of the meeting. I figured I had, after seven interviews, I had nothing to lose. Those are the words. Those are the actions. Those were the exact words and actions. We were were having breakfast at a restaurant, and I just, I literally looked at him and got up and walked away. And two days later, the phone rang, and I got my first rep job. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. What did you learn during that year? I mean, what was... I, I worked retail for 
total of seven years between Columbus Pro Percussion and Forks Drum Closet. Okay. And, uh, I mean, there's pros and cons to, to that. It's fascinating. And yeah. there's things I really miss about it. The thing that hit me the most is when you work for a company the size of Yamaha and you're a customer service, anyone that calls you wants Yamaha stuff. The first time you interact with the customer and they said, I need a power amp. And I'm like, you know, the P2300 is a really, really great power amp. And the guy goes, I wouldn't buy Yamaha yeah. if you paid me. That, that's, where, that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. It's not everybody's always seeking out my stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a great lesson. Okay. Great lesson. And um, I did get an opportunity to wait on and sell something to a very, very young Josh Freeze. Oh, cool. He lived in the area at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was a me- that was a memory that, yeah. uh, that I will hold. But you learn that there's other things and other brands. And just because you work for Zildjian, yeah. right? Right. Doesn't mean that those are the only wonderful symbols on the planet. Well, we're in a place, like we mentioned early on, that, I mean, everybody's making pretty good stuff and there isn't this quite the the disparity between the quality that there was 30 years ago 40 years ago especially well can i ask how old are you 51 okay so we're just a few years apart Mm -hmm. so would you buy a symbol without playing it no i wouldn't yeah no me neither yeah but we're but we're old school it happens all the time you know, it, it, I guess even and but what does that mean? So now you can go and you can listen to the symbol. You can watch somebody play it. It's not that symbol you're buying, right? But there's more of an opportunity to get an idea of what that line provides. Uh, and I find maybe I'm looking for a ride symbol. Well, this is the ride symbol. This is the size. This is the model. This is the whatever. And I'm going to grab four of them. Right. And I'm going to listen to all of them. And I'm going to pick the one because they're all different. For sure. And that's why I would never buy anything without playing it. But I think there's an expectation on the consumer's part that we have put in, I say we, Zildjian, has put in the time, effort, and energy to make sure that what's coming out of the factory Mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. And that the set is matched. Because think about that. You know, we sell complete sets. Yeah. Two crashes a ride and a pair of hats. Yeah. And it's, I think there's an expectation that it's going to be okay. I mean, I know guitar players that would never buy a guitar without playing it, picking it up. So that's changed a lot. There's more. That's interesting. Tons, right? Think about that. Yeah. Um, We, my artist, Scott McLaughlin, just recently wanted a little one of the baby guitars for traveling. Said, I just want to have something I can throw on my back, you know, and when I'm writing, I'm somewhere in a hotel room I can write and I have a writing tool. And it showed up here. Brian is our guitar player and Brian grabbed a hold of it and started to play it. And he was absolutely blown away by how great it was right out of the box. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it came from a a company I won't mention, but uh, they clearly do an excellent job of making sure that they're checking all that gear out before it goes out the door. Do you remember when sticks started to get matched? 
Because that wasn't a thing for a long time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my belief, and you got to remember, my <clears throat> perspective is so grounded in Vic and Zildjian, right? So yeah, right. Um, I, I want to make sure that anybody who's listening and has a different <laughs> opinion right. uh, is entitled to their opinion. Of course. I, I just, I have been indoctrinated with the history um, and I think that, that that was a Vic Firth creation. Okay. And I got the opportunity to spend time with Vic when he was alive. Um, not tons, but I got a chance to have dinners and things with him and spend some time with him in the office. And his, you got to remember that Vic was an educator. Right. That was a big part of what he did. And his take on it and how it came to be is, he said, I'm trying to instruct drummers on how to make sure their roles and their doubles and their fill and everything is very even and equal. Their left hand and their right hand are equal. Mm -hmm. How is that supposed to happen if these sticks are not weighted and pitched yeah. the same? Mm -hmm. And they do a demonstration. If you ever get an opportunity to tour the Vic factory, I could set that up for you, by the way. That'd be awesome. Um, they do a demonstration where they pull them out of different sections and play a bucket. And the tonal differences are can be pretty amazing. Yeah. So I think Vic was the one that really came up with no pair of sticks is more than two grams apart. They are pitch matched. And if you literally see the, the manufacturing process, it's the amount. I told somebody the other day, if you watch the way in which we make sticks, you saw it go through all the process they go through, you would understand when I say a pair of drumsticks ought to be $45 a pair. Oh, wow. Because there's just so much that goes into turning out a single pair of drumsticks. Yeah. That 12 bucks is a deal. Yeah, that's true. It, it, but again, it goes back to the, if you make so many thousand, that makes, makes them affordable. Right. And yet, it's interesting, I'm, I'm working with a group right now, and management sent me a bag of sticks a random bag of sticks. I'm, I'm a Vic Firth guy. I'm, okay. I'm not endorsed by Vic Firth, but I've been playing Vic Firth for the last 20 years. Okay. So when I say I'm a Vic Firth guy, that's what I mean. Right. <laughs> um, but management sent me a bag of sticks and said, we know that you can't give out sticks. It's just something you can't afford to do at the end of the shows when people right. say, can we get guitar picks? And can I get, hey, drummer, can I get a stick? So here's some sticks. And I'm like, these aren't bad, but definitely. Not the same. Not the same. They're just, they're just, they're shaped like drumsticks. <laughs> Drum ship, drumstick shaped objects. Yeah. I want to hit them so they have dents in them so people know, but I, I just would say, here's a pair of unused Here's an unused stick for you. I was going to ask you if you played them or not. I really was. Because, uh, oh, Vic Firth? Yeah. No, meaning if you played oh, if the played, sticks before you no, hand them I out. No, I don't. I don't. I, I should just, I should grab a bunch of them, just like nick them up and, you know, just whatever. Well, it's funny. It's one of the things I've started to do as part of our show. Uh, again, because of what I do, I do have sticks that are logoed oh, right, for us cool. yeah. to do that. And I try to play them a bit before ultimately they go out yeah 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 yeah. Do you know what i mean so they look yeah at least a i little, think that would a be little cool. beat up i think that would be cool but we learned the other night that if you give them out too early in the evening they kind of get a little weaponized <laughs> when oh, you're right. playing on a club on broadway <laughs> I, I i we i remember there was a band in columbus that i played with and and we got 
a uh, box of tambourines with the band's logo on it. Worst mm. mistake ever. Do not pass out tambourines, even if the band's logo is on it. Right. <laughs> it's, it is a nightmare. As a drummer, it is a nightmare. No. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you mentioned uh, meeting Gad. Mm-hmm. Was that with Yamaha? That was with Yamaha. Yeah, it was yeah. at a NAM show. I think he was playing with... I mean, you know, the beauty of Yamaha is they always do big things at the NAM show. I mean, Michael McDonald, big things, right? Mm-hmm. right. T- and we were doing something large. And uh, again, I don't want to offend, but the story's great to tell it because of the way Hoggy said it. <laughs> so we're... We're backstage at the NAMM show, and he goes to introduce me to Steve, and he says, this is exactly what he said. He, he goes, he goes, uh, Mr. Gad, this is a Johnson. A Johnson, this is a Mr. Gad. He goes, he looks at Gad, and he goes, uh, John sells a much good drum set. <laughs> I had won the Boomer Award, which was the big percussion sales award yeah. that year, and they had given it to me just a handful of days before and so he really made a point of letting Steve know, to know that I was one of the top sales guys for drums. And it was hilarious because Steve said to me, he goes, oh, you're a sales guy. I go, yeah, yeah. I go, I work the West Coast and I do this. He goes, he goes how, how is that? So he starts to quiz me about what it is I do. Yeah. And I joked with him and I said, Steve, well, maybe, you know, if this drumming thing doesn't work out for you, you know, maybe you could be a sales guy. You know, maybe you can sell some <laughs> Yamaha drums. He laughs. He was really, really kind. Yeah, it's, it's, I have not met him, but I have friends that have met him, and, and that's what I hear. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's one of the beauties of doing or getting to do what I get to do. Um, I think I told you when we talked, I have a cousin that graduated from college down in San Diego, and he said to me one time, so let me get this straight. <laughs> you know, you, you play drums, yeah. You, some of the best drummers in the world are your friends, yeah. You hang out in drum shops, yeah. And, and they pay you You're to right. do that, right? You know, and you go, yeah, you know, I never thought of it that way. But the interactions that I've had an opportunity to have over my career, you know, my favorites are Josh Dunn from 21 Pilots is got to be probably one of the nicest people I've just ever met on this planet. Okay. Kind and obviously is getting pulled in a million directions, right? Yeah. And stands there and talks to me for 15 minutes and looks me in the eye and asks questions and just just a genuine good mm-hmm. dude. He's a Columbus guy, man. Is what he? What can you say? Did, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah. It, he found out what I did and he goes, oh, you work with the GC guys. I go, yeah. He goes, he goes, I worked at the Columbus Guitar Center. Yeah. He goes, I was an operations guy. Yeah. And I said, well, they would love to do something with you. You know, if you ever wanted to do anything promotionally, or whatever, he goes, oh, I'd be happy to help them. You know, just the sweetest guy. And the other guy I remember very clearly because I called my wife was uh, Stamos. Oh, so Stamos okay. is, a, is a Zildjian my dude. My gosh, I was listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast on the drive here, and Stamos and Beach Boys came up in conversation. And, and he he's from Cyprus, which is not far from where I grew up. And so I kind of cornered him and gave him the, hey, man, you know, I know where you grew up. And I used to see you when you were blackie driving your car around my neighborhood uh-huh. and he absolutely stopped took time spoke with me was a really really sweet guy so i immediately when i'm done talking to him i call my wife 
And I was never going to guess what I got to do. I got to hang out with John Stamos. She goes, oh, my goodness. She goes, <laughs> is he really that good looking? And I go, he is stunning in person. <laughs> he is. He is a very good looking guy. But also just, just super, super kind. Yeah. Is that one thing that you've taken away from some of those experiences? Because the reason I ask that is I've learned that over the last eight years of doing this podcast is how approachable some of these, many of the players that I, I, I felt might have been unapproachable growing up and seeing them and hearing them and realizing how much of a missed opportunity a lot of us maybe have when we don't find ourselves communicating with some of our, our heroes, our, our teachers, uh, those in the industry that are doing the things that we want to be doing. Right. I, you know what? Drummers are communal. Right. They just are. And I would say, go to, an, go to any NAMM show. Go walk around a NAMM show. Drummers hug each other. Yeah. Right? They say hello. They hug each other when they know each other. I don't see guitar players doing that. And mm-hmm. the, the other part of it, too, for me is, like, great, again, it's funny. When this whole thing came up to, to do this with you, I thought, this poor guy, he's in danger. Because I'm, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> And if you have the opportunity to meet any of the guys I actually call on and do business with, I go, hey, I always say to them, hey, I got a story about that. And they roll their eyes and I go, yeah, of course, Geiger. Of course you have All right. a, a story about that. Um, but so I met Jake Sommer, who's out with, yeah. right, uh, with Luke Holmes. Luke Holmes. I m- met him at the Nashville Drum Show recently. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, he doesn't do anything I do. He's not a Zildjian guy. He's not a Vic guy. Okay, so let's make it clear. This isn't me talking nice about him because he happens to play my stuff. Doesn't do anything I do. Super nice dude. We hang for a little bit. We chat. And I know, you know, his AR people at, at Sabian, and we kind of chat about that for a little bit. But uh, I say to him, I go, hey, we got three of your songs in our set that we do. Broadway. Oh, which ones? You know, and I call him out. I say, I think we do Cold As You. We do Beer Never Broke and one other one. And he goes, are you doing that, Phil? Are you doing that, Phil, right at the end? And I go, probably not. <laughs> right. And he goes, all right, here, man, here's my number. Call me. And he goes, I'll send you the chart. I charted it all out. Just said, you know, that's drummers. Yes. yes. That's drummers. Yes. I, I, I have seen it before where a guitar player will say, hey, man, that's really cool. How'd you do it? Well, you go home and you, you put your, you know, when drummers are very quick. Let me write it out for you. Let me, do you want me to play it slow? Do you want me to do the sticking? That's the part that I just love. And I, and I actually love about being out here too. Uh, that communal vibe for Nashville drummers, at least so far for me, has been really, really kind and like really sharing and really open. Yeah. So that reminds me, uh, speaking of Luke Combs and that drum fill on Beer Never Broke My Heart right. at the end, that's uh, Jerry Rowe on drums and uh, a young player who moved to town recently wanted to meet for coffee. So we're at Sam and Zoe coffee shop, hanging out, ordering a coffee. Jerry walks in. It's like, Jerry, I've known Jerry forever. He walks up to him and gives him, he gives me a hug. Right. I go to introduce this young guy. He goes, I know this guy and gives him a hug. How are you? We chat for a few minutes. I give him shit about that drum fill. Right. That I have to play on Broadway. (laughs) Right. And we laugh about it. We talk a little bit. He goes on his way. We sit down and have our coffee. The young player looks at me and says, I've never met him before. 
I can't believe. I said, you know, Jerry, he goes, he hugged you. He goes, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you should know, Jerry. I told you we're communal, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the, the motivations for starting this podcast is I missed that aspect of that communal thing. I think, uh, for, for whatever reason, and just uh, the, the band I was in at the time, the separation from the community in Nashville, the drumming community outside of not working retail, I, I, I miss that. I, 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 I miss the, the friendship, but I also missed the, the growth that came from it. And so I'm curious to know how that has affected you over these many years as someone that is working with a full-time band. As somebody that is playing these great clubs in California, in Nashville, and everywhere in between, mm-hmm. how does all that now change the way I approach this? I'm way more of a gearhead than I used to be because I'm around it all the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's for sure. Um, that's, a, that's a really, really great question. I'm, I, I think, again, I think I'm fortunate to have a lot of resources. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's come from all these years is there's not many things I can't get my hands on one way or another. And I don't mean gear. Sometimes I mean advice. Sometimes I mean direction. Exactly. Sometimes I mean... You're, 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 you're nailing it. Right. My, that's kind of what I was it's wondering. Not, it's not just about, can I buy another piece of gear? Because you and I both know that is never going to make you better. It's having the resources and the friendships um, to be able to reach out and go, you know, I've got, I've got this going on because, I, because I know guys, listen, I've played at a, a relatively high level, not at the high level. I haven't played the way Jake Somers plays in front of 80,000 people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I have him and guys like him as a resource and being able to reach out and go, okay, how are you approaching this? Yeah. <clears throat> what a great, great example is uh, Kimmer has been on a lot of the Scotty Mac stuff, right? When Scott's in town and he's recording, um, Chris and one other guy are kind of the primary drummers okay. uh, that are playing on the recorded versions of these things. And so when I get in now, I'm the guy that's got to recreate, right? I got to be the recreator. But it's really nice through Scott or directly to be able to reach out and go, hey, man, I, you know, I just that's just not feeling the way I'm hearing it on the recording. Like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. What, what could I be doing differently? And getting a little bit of that feedback yeah. from the actual guy who recorded said, well, if I were you, I'd really put the pulse here. Mm. And then playing it a night later and having Scott turn around and go, okay. That was it. What change did you make? Well, and so that advice from Kimmerer was exactly what I needed to hear. And I think to not being afraid to say I'm not getting it. Sure. Like, hey, I, I'm for whatever reason, I'm not feeling this. I, I For whatever reason, I can't make this sound the way I want it to sound. Mm-hmm. What am I doing wrong? And reaching out and asking those questions. Right. That comes from you know, being 59 and not being so ashamed of (laughs) saying you don't know. Some of that comes with age. It's beautiful. And also from just having the resources to reach out to people and, and ask them, 
Yeah. You know, I think I got this right, but I'm not quite sure. You know, Gammon's another, Jake Gammon's another guy for me that I reach out to and ask questions. Totally. Because there's just nobody with a greater degree of, you know, musical knowledge than that guy. Relatively young, <clears throat> but old soul and knows so much. Well, yeah, how he and I ever became friends. You know, I'm 59. I think he's 32. How mm-hmm. we ever became friends is, you know, is not a mystery because there's a great story behind it. But, you know, that we maintain this friendship. Yeah. And it's not all around drumming. You know, it's all right, it's around right. other stuff as well. But uh, he, uh, my band, we got to do a little kind of regional tour when he was out with Chase Bryant. Mm-hmm. And we just hit it off and you're yeah. right and i he's such an old soul i'm talking about stuff from the 70s he wasn't even born in the 70s yeah right right but he's just way into it and that has served him well i mean that's a constant thing that i think comes up just understanding the history understanding music and how it informs your playing right you know and he's a he's a great example of that yeah he's just awesome <laughs> so we're here playing we get the call to open for phil vassar and I'm going to be on vacation. And I mean, it's, it's not a vacation I can bail out of. Like, this is, this is me. This is the wife going to Hawaii. This mm-hmm. is like, I look at Scott and I go, I can't, I, I can't bail out of it. I said, but you know, I think Jake's out with Phil. Mm-hmm. So as we walk out of down Broadway, I look and there's Jake in yeah. a window and I pound on the window and he turns out like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, Geiger, you're in town. I didn't know. <clears throat> I'm like, Next week, Southern California, playing with Vassar. He goes, uh-huh. I go, hey, man, do you want to be me, too? He goes, and the song's about to start. He just turns around, gives you the thumbs up, goes, call me. Turns around and starts playing. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And sure enough, he and I talk the next day. I go, will Phil let you be me right. and be you? And he said, absolutely. He took the gig. That's awesome. I mean, that's, again... We're drummers. We're communal. That it. That is the wonderfulness of what, and that's how why I enjoy so much being on this part of the business. Before we started recording, we were talking about interfaces. I've got my remote rig that we're recording off of, and you know, you had your case, your road case, and uh, what an airport, and somebody walked up to you and said, "Hey, I know what you got there." They knew immediately what it was. They knew it was a track rig. They go track rig. And I said, "Yeah, yeah," and we just started to chat. Yeah, and oh, I, if I had a minute, I could look him up in my phone. He's he runs a company here that essentially creates track rigs for a, a lot of drummers. Okay, Ben Jackson. No, no. Okay, that one I would have known. There's a couple guys that I'm actually getting ready to reach out to about, and, and that's another thing. It's just knowing that there's so much on drummers' plates these days, and you sometimes you just need to ask for help. You know, running tracks, uh, doing all these other different things, uh, recording, let alone, you know. Well, and, and that was when when this band started to have some success and things started to change, meaning I wasn't the recording drummer anymore. Like, yeah, Scotty yeah, yeah. was coming out here, and for a lot of reasons that I don't even necessarily agree with, um, other plays were being used. No offense to any of the guys that are being loose. My gosh, it's Chris Kimmer. Holy crap, the dude's mm-hmm. a beast. But I took it very personally and kind of said, if I'm not your recording guy, I'm not your live guy. Like, screw it. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got it. I got a career. I got friends. I'll go play golf more often. Yeah. You know, screw it. 
and I had a run in and it's, I got connected to him. Um, Murphy, um, Kevin Murphy, Kevin Murphy. He was playing at a show that we were playing at. I got introduced to him through somebody at, at Z and I kind of was complaining to him about it. Yeah. And he was very quick to tell me that that's kind of how it rolls in this town, number one, and that he was not on any of the recordings of the artist he was currently out with. Right. And I needed to pull up my big boy pants and decided decide for myself what it is I wanted out yeah. of it. Yeah. And it was a real game changer for me. It made it, it, it was a, a big change in Scott and I's relationship in a positive way. And um, I really appreciated his advice. Yeah, yeah. Again, age has a lot to do with the ability to wrap your head around things that may have been more of a challenge when you're younger. Uh, humility. And also uh, seeing some of what these session players do, uh, it, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> now I understand <laughs> Why you're using, but I mean, that being said, you know, the ability to record now is more accessible more than ever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think we're all, we're all trying to manage it, uh, but there's still so much more to it. Something that I went through similarly with a band that I toured with for a long time and they brought in Steve Ferroni. I wasn't a member of the band. I was the drummer that played with the three guys that Mm -hmm. were the band. There was four of us on stage, sometimes five. But it wasn't like there was a band thing. I was just the drummer that supported the group. Right. So when they had connections to bring in Steve Ferroni, and they said, we want you to play percussion. And I said, I'm like, please let me tech, right. you know, in the studio and <laughs> right. hang with it. It was wonderful. One of the conversations for why they're putting this band together in the studio, and they had a small indie deal, but they wanted to compete with the big boys. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you play our songs next to the other songs that are on the radio, we have to compete. We have to have the sonic space. We have to have the right engineer, the right mastering, the everything that makes us as competitive. So, you know, we sound just as competitive as everyone else that's using. So, you know, that's using... The, this player and that player. Now we're not using. They weren't using Nashville. All Nashville guys, right? You know they had Paul Franklin on steel, uh, but they had John Jorgensen on guitar, and uh, you know, kind of Nashville, kind of California guy, right? Elton John, you know, little known songwriter that he played with, who's that, who's uh, and, and Steve Ferroni, you know, who was still with Tom Petty at the time. So, right, it wasn't one hundred percent Nashville, but it was uh, definitely something that I couldn't have done at the time or as fast. It was interesting. That that makes a lot of sense to me. And as a competitive guy and as a sales guy, those kind of things hit me. You know, we have to be competitive, right? Mm -hmm. We, we we're competing against other music that's out there. I, I don't think we tend to think of it like that very frequently. (laughs) And that was actually, Matt, that was a, that was a very, uh, that was a very good statement. Okay, that sits with Good. me well. I, I mean, I'm serious. It makes me th- that makes me think. Yeah. Well, I mean, because what happens is the band has more opportunities, and they catch the ear of the people that are turning the gears that get you on the stage to be heard until you have 
the the position to then call some of the shots. But until that happens, there's a game that right. has to be played. I, I, I mean, there's times I'm in situations where I'm like, you know, I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. And I'm thinking, well, you might just want to start your own band, really, if you want to do it that way. <laughs> uh, but if you want the freedom and the flexibility to be your own person, sometimes you kind of have to follow the organization or the artist or the singer or whatever you're doing. Well, so. yeah, and, and, you know, I think we're all the same, most of us drummers. You know, we go, I'm just going to play for this band. I'm just going to play drums. I'm not going to do anything else. <laughs> I'm not going to move anything. I'm not going to handle any money. I'm yeah. not going to book anything. I'm not doing nothing. I'm just doing this. Yeah. And that lasts about a week. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the middle of neck deep in everything else. It starts with, can you get a logo for the front kick drum head? Yeah. Hey, let's work on a design. <laughs> and then that leads to, col- yeah, I get it. And I, I, But I think we're all the same. Or most of us are the same in that regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I to- told you that story. I always say, you know, we never get recognized. I mean, our residency when we're in Southern California is a place called Old Crow Smokehouse. And um, I'm literally standing at the urinal covered in sweat with a towel around my neck after a two hour set. Mm-hmm. And the guy next to me looks over at me and goes, hey, man, have you ever seen this band before? They're really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, No. No, I never no, seen no, it before. No. You know, Awful. just yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or uh, listen, guys. If you want anything, the band gets free drinks. Just go to the bar. Just tell them you're in the band. Okay, cool. Hey, can I grab a Red Bull? Uh, it's it, it's that'll be nine dollars. Right. I'm in the band. You're in the band. Yes. Remember, I've been here for three nights behind the drums. Oh, in a row. Sorry. Yeah, in a row. <laughs> I'm the guy wearing black. All the time. All the time. Well, it's a, yeah, I started this thing with Scott. I never, I didn't own anything black. It was always my joke because I flew back and forth the East Coast so much. And everybody wears black on planes going to Boston or going to New York. And I'm like, I, and my joke was with my wife was, babe, if this plane goes down, I want them to be able to find me. <laughs> so I'm going to wear something like salmon colored. That's you right. Know? And uh, now everything I own happens to be black again. Right. So we call it Sideman Black. Sideman. Side. That's awesome. I'm going to start using that one. <laughs> one of the things when we met a couple weeks ago, uh, we got into talking about endorsements. And uh, I, I kind of wondering what the state of endorsements are now right. compared to 1987. Right. If we use that as a point of reference when you started working for Yamaha. Um, well, I will, I will start with, you know, I am not the AR department. And so I am speaking only from 35 years of experience with multiple companies. That's good. The biggest ones. Yeah. Yamaha being the biggest. Mm-hmm. Right. Diderio being the biggest in its space. Mm-hmm. Zildjian being the biggest. Um, so, I, But I absolutely have an opinion about sure. it. And what I've, what I've seen and what I've noticed. Um, first of all, companies do not endorse people right people endorse stuff Mm -hmm. and you do that by using it and loving it and it being a part of your sound yeah um i remember this was pre dave weckl making the switch i was out with him i was at yamaha and he and i you know 
pre all of this other stuff and, and the internet, you know, you used to do a clinic tour. Right. And I would grab Dave on a Monday and or he would fly somewhere and meet me and we would jump in my company Ford van and we would go do three clinics, let's say, in three different cities over the course of a week. And I caught him one time, had him out, and he they had just had their van stolen. And the idiots that stole the van <laughs> took all the hard cases and left the soft bag of symbols behind in the van. His very precious brand of symbols at the time, his Zildjian's at the time. That entire week, he would not even leave them in the car. Yeah. If we went in to eat, they came in and sat wow. in his chair. Not just hotel. But. Not just in the hotel. And I said to him, I said, this is not a sketchy area. You know, we can go ahead and just leave it in the van. No. <laughs> no. And he said, John, you have to understand, these are my sound. Yeah. These, the, I have chosen and picked these over years or decades, found the things that I love. And that's my advice to people who are looking for endorsements. And I keep going back to the NAM show, which is funny. You know, who knows if we're going to get NAM shows back in any real way over the course of time. We'll see after the pandemic. But you have somebody comes up to you. I play for, and this is my favorite, this is my reference band. This is the band I use. Is, and one day I'm going to start a band. I'm going to name it this. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I play for Snapping Granny and the No-No Biscuits. <laughs> and um, so what symbols are you going to give me? And th- that couldn't be a more wrong approach to mm. anyone within any organization. Wrong. So my typical com- comeback to that is, all right, what, what do you currently play? Oh, I, I'm I'm kind of a minor guy. Yeah. Eh. Right. You're you are done with me. Uh, mm-hmm. With me, I can't speak for my AR team. I'm not going to try to speak for them. But for me, I don't even want to help you at that point. Right. I want. And keep in mind, you're using minor as an example, but you're saying the person is saying, "I don't play your brand. I, I don't play your brand. Yeah. I just want to sure. know what you give me for free. Mm-hmm. That is the worst, absolute worst approach." ever in the history of the planet. Now, conversely, I have somebody that walks in and says, I'm, I'm your brand guy, like you. I, I'm a Vic Firth guy and I have been for over 20 years. Frankly, whether you give them to me, whether you sell them to me, or whether I have to buy them, this is what I'm using. Yeah. This is because it's what I love. Yeah. It's my sound, it's me, it fits right in my hand. Whatever the, the answer is, that's somebody you want to help. Mm-hmm. And I think the things, the thing that drummers specifically don't do as well, because we are primarily sidemen, mm-hmm. because we primarily sit in the back, because we primarily are not focused on in any way, and we're, is I don't know that most young guys know how to promote enough. And I don't mean self-promote. I don't mean how many YouTube views can you have. I don't mean that. I mean creating a relationship within a company that you care about and working that relationship pre endorsement yeah there's there's absolutely work that can be done ahead of time for sure and cuz you know there listen most everybody now has some way in which you can communicate with them for endorsement deals online mm-hmm. so it's almost done anonymously mm-hmm. right which 
I don't care for because to me it's like trying to hire somebody through check boxes. Right. Oh, we need somebody with brown hair. Oh no, oh, they have blonde hair. Sorry, they're a no. Mm-hmm. Even if they're the exact right perfect person to do mm-hmm. it. So I, that's not my favorite. But there are ways to create those relationships. And as you start to do that, making sure the onus is on you to inform those companies you care about about significant changes in your status. Yeah. And that's the one thing, I again, when we met for coffee, and I think I can now tell this story in a way that's not going to get anybody in trouble. Um, young kid. I was playing playing for Scotty. We had a bass player. Bass player didn't didn't like me. Never liked me from the first friggin' day he started with this band. He was trying to figure a way to get me kicked out. And he, we're, some song we're learning, he doesn't really like the way I play it. So he reaches out to one of his buddies, has him record a version on video to show me how to play it. Now, I could have taken a great deal of offense to that. Instead, the kid that played did a great job. Yeah, And I reached out to him and I go, hey man, that was really cool. I liked how you did this and that and yeah. let's talk this through. And I, I think consequently I played the song better because of my interaction with him. <clears throat> right? Yeah, yeah. He and I become friends. Not long after that, I, through social media, find that his car's been broken into and he's lost everything. And I mean everything. All his drums, all his cymbals, all his hardware, all gone. And this is a kid who's trying to make his way through in the music business, trying to become a player. And I just, my heart just sank for him, you know? Right, right. And being older and in a very different spot financially, I reached out to Zildjian. And I said, I'd, I'd like to figure a way to help this guy. And they were super kind with me as an employee. And, you know, I said, this is what I want to do. And I, and I, was well able to give to him an entire set of Zildjian symbols yeah. to get him back on track. And he now plays, uh, is touring. I think he's in Europe right now. We maintain a friendship. Um, I, I think he's a wonderful player and an even better human. And he's out with a guy who just got his billionth play oh my gosh. on Spotify. And... If you were to ask him, he will tell you. He will never, ever, ever play anything other than Zildjian. He will never, you know, A, it's his sound, and he always felt that way about it and mm-hmm. told me that from the very beginning. But it's amazing just what a little bit of help will right. do for someone. Right. And, um, yeah, that's... That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's so much to take away from that story. And uh, I think uh, one of the things is we keep going back to this just humility and the community that drummers create that allows us to be accessible to each other and kind of put that ego aside in make room for growth, you know, and some of that comes with age. I get that. But, um, here's a life hack, everyone, you know, you don't have to wait till you're in your fifties to be able to put your ego aside. That can happen anytime. Uh, and the opportunity for growth because, you know, I'm at a place in my life now where I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I would have done this. I would be a better player. If I would have done this, I would have done that, you know, at these different stages in my life. But this is one of them. And just the opportunity for you to seek out, oh, cool, how does this guy do it? And learn from him and then build that relationship and then prove to him that this is a good company. 
to hit your wagon too. Right. And, and so I, I think, you know, I think there's still artist opportunities. It, it's, it's harder. <clears throat> the pandemic really put hurt on all of it. Yeah. Uh, when nobody's out touring, nobody's, and it, and it all just comes in house. It all just turns into YouTube and it, it turns into all these things. So that's, that's the other thing about, I'm kind of, it, it, and I want to ask about that, but I also am curious to know, as we are talking about endorsements, how things have changed because we see people that maybe aren't part of a traditional band that are endorsing the products that we know and love, but have this amazing YouTube following, this amazing Instagram account. And you're getting, you're seeing comments. You're, they're getting pushback. Well, who do they play for? Who do they? Right. But again, it's that relationship with the companies that, that may not have been the way it was when you grow up. You may not like it, but guess what? If this is, if they're uh, endorsing the product, right, and they're getting eyes on them, and there's people with money buying the product because, as a result mm-hmm. of seeing this person on YouTube, isn't that kind of what the business is? Well, I remember early on at my time at Yamaha, they did like a study. Mm-hmm. You know, Japanese being very big on doing that kind of stuff. It came through that drummers, very specifically, are the most loyal to brands and drummers they like. So if you're an Alex Van Halen guy, yeah, you're an Alex. You're playing Peisty. We're the lapdogs of the musician world, right? I mean, you're right. You like. <laughs> If, if you if there's somebody that you like, you tend to really move towards the gear in which that particular drummer uses. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. I mean, just for you and I sitting right here, even yeah, it, you're right. It, it's so so true. My and, first kit was a red Tama kit because that's what Neil played in the '80s. Right there, you yep. go. Yeah, and so there's, I I get it. Um, I don't know. There's a way yet to really correlate sales to to youtube views it'll be interesting if we ever get to a place yeah where we can really tie those two things together for me as a business guy that that stuff is very interesting to me but that's a that's a powerful metric that didn't exist let's just just make sure that people understand that whether you like it or hate it it just is it it doesn't matter matt it doesn't matter what you and i think (laughs) <laughs> and that's again maybe that's maturity but it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah. I remember I was working for D'Addario and uh, we came out with a line of Satriani straps his signature line of straps and he had done all the artwork for them mm-hmm. and I walk in and lay them on the buyer's counter at Guitar Center and, and she goes which one of these is going to sell the best there was like six designs which one's going to sell the best I go how in the hell would I know I'm freaking 43 years old I'm a drummer I got three kids like I don't even play guitar like how in the hell would I know <laughs> And we kind of laughed about it. Yeah. And I said to her, tell you what I will do. I will take these tonight. I'll take them home. I'll lay them out on the dinner table. I got teenage mm-hmm. girls and boys. And I go, I will see what they like. Yeah. And I'll let you know. Sure enough, I came home. I laid them out. And one of the six I would have picked, the other two, absolutely not. Would have been a hard no for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And my kids were like, oh, no, that one, that one, that one. I came back. Next time I came back, I said, Okay. My pure market research says <laughs> these. <laughs> we put them in, and they did exceptionally well. Wow! So okay. you you just you gotta get 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it matters what people will buy from a sales perspective. It matters what other people like. My sound may not be your sound. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I think that's one of the things I've really learned over time is to take myself out of it and just go, it doesn't matter. I'm, it's like writing a set list. Right. Like, this song's badass. Well, yeah, it is, but guess what? No one's going to like it. Oh, there are you songs. You like it. There are songs we play that I'm, I told Scott, I go, I hate that song. I hate yeah. that song. We should never play that song again. And it is one of the crowd pleasers I every single time. I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. We're too close for it. So, so one last thing about endorsements. Mm-hmm. For someone, maybe, they're like, you know, I've been playing this product. Say we're, they're checking all the boxes. Okay. I've been playing for playing Zildjian all my life, and um, I'm I'm with this signed artist. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Where do I begin? You know, I I want to. I I feel like I could be a good fit for them. I've got these symbols, but I need more. I need I need a backup set. I right. need. Uh, I'm just ready to to kind of get myself more ingrained in this business model right. that we've grown accustomed to. I would do two things right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Zildjian has an online portal where you can go in and you can fill out an application to yeah. be considered. And that makes it go to the right spots, number yeah. one. Number two, um, I would hope, if you were at that level, that you had some connection, whether it be through um, a particular music store or owner, somebody that supported you, whether it be through other artists of that brand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That you have friendships with mm-hmm. that might be willing to give you their support. I think that I think those kind of things are, are huge in that part of the business. And that goes back to the question I had, like, what about pre that endorsement? You know, how do you kind of build that groundswell? that gives you a voice when you feel like it's time and the company sees you as that. It's like, oh, I've known that guy for a long time. I've been watching you, right. you know, kind of do this and that. You, you have to be, and, and you know it because you've done it for so long as well. You have to be creating relationships along the way. Yep. You yep. just have to. And they're not all going to be good and they're not all going to be easy. Yeah. But... You have to create those relationships. Just about everything that has come good my way has come from someone being willing Mm -hmm. to stick their neck out for me. But let me tell you, then you you can't let people down. No. Because then, then that's when the work begins. The work begins when somebody says you're the right guy and you get the chance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it works, that works. I don't care if we're talking about playing. I don't care if we're talking about working as a, as a business person. It, I only have the job I currently hold. And I think I said this to you when we had coffee. If it was purely a checkbox world, I, I don't qualify to hold the job I've hold, held for 11 years. And do very well at, because I would I, I don't have a college degree, and that would be one of the check boxes that would immediately get me out of the mix. But I, 
had done all the right things. I had put in a lot of hard work. I had really, really good relationships. And the phone rang, and it was a friend, longtime friend of mine, and he said, listen, Zildjian's looking for a national account manager. Are you interested? I said, absolutely. Think about that. I mean, I used to have pictures of Zildjian symbols on my wall as a kid. Mm -hmm. I get to go sit in the Krupa room. I get to go, you know, sit behind Buddy's kid that he gave to Armand on his deathbed. I mean, this stuff is just, to me, it's just me. It's incredible, right? It's Mm -hmm. crazy. And he said, this guy's seeking this position out. You've, if you've got the juice, you need to try to figure this out. I said, okay. I got off the phone. I was able to call ahead of the meeting, knowing where this guy was going, and get these guys on the phone. And, said, and, and you have to ask the question. It's not, endorse me, please. It's, hey, man, will you? Would you, if I asked you, I thought about this the other day when we talked. I've had a couple of people ask me whether or not I would recommend them and then never ask me whether or not what I would say would be positive. Hmm. That's dumb. Hmm. What I said to these guys was, listen, you've got a meeting with this guy tomorrow. First thing out of their mouths. How did you know that? Doesn't matter how I know. (laughs) Just matters that I know. I said, he's going to ask you about a recommendation for a national account manager. Would you be willing to recommend me. Would you feel comfortable recommending me? Right. Putting and, your own reputation on the line. And they went, yes, we would. And and thanks for the call. That gives us an opportunity to think about what we would say prior to our meeting with him. Yeah. And, uh, and it came out in the interview process. He actually said to me, I have a feeling the guys, because these were guys at Guitar Center, I have a feeling guys at Guitar Center knew I was going to ask that question. I said, yeah, they did. Yeah. He said, well, how, how did you know? And I told him, hire me and I'll tell you. Don't hire me, you'll never know. <laughs> and it was a joke, but, I, you know, yeah. um, you need to ask that next question. And you need to be okay if the answer is, you know, hey, hey man, I, mm, I don't know that you're a good fit for that. Yeah, I don't know that you have enough experience for that. Yeah. I don't know this or that. And then go about getting, like right. I said, seven interviews to become an outside sales rep. Seven. Yeah. Before I got it. Mm-hmm. And every time, don't get me wrong, I was pissed. I, I didn't take it lying down, but I took every bit of information from all those interviews, tried to find out what it is I needed to do to grow mm-hmm. to be considered next time. Mm-hmm. And each time turned into the next time and finally turned into the job. Mm. And I think it's one of the things I see far too often. There's just far too much quit. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the key components is just this waiting game, just being patient, just finding your spot. You know, I mean, not settling. But no, it's like maybe now's not the time. Maintain that relationship. You know, you may circle back to that person. You may not, but if you do, there's something about that perseverance that is recognizable. This business is unbelievably small. Yes. And, and I mentioned when you mentioned I mentioned Josh to me, and I'm like, wait, how do I know that name? And then I connected <laughs> I, the dots. I'm like, oh, of course I know, just in trying to figure out who we both know. I used to do sales training a lot, and I would say the music products, not music, records, tapes, live products, 
industry is about $7 billion a year in the United States, about $7 billion. Walmart does over a billion dollars a week. Yeah. Just Walmart. So, and I don't, I don't never say that to be discouraging. Yeah. I say it actually to be encouraging. If you've been able to make a reasonable living working in the music business and you, and you love it. Yeah. Man, aren't we lucky? Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Aren't we lucky? I hear you. Because it's the Mars candy bar division is more than $7 billion. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. And, yeah. and so that's my thing about, and you're right, perseverance, exactly right. You don't have to, you don't have to do everything everybody tells you, but you sure as hell ought to think it through. Mm-hmm. And if in the end it's not for you or you decide to go a different direction, that's fine. Yeah. But you've got to hear it. Mm-hmm. And the hard parts to hear. Mm. are the tar- parts when when you take the flack you know when you really do get hit hard and you get turned down or you don't get the gig or you don't get the job and there's and there's but if there's real true solid reasons why it didn't work you've you got to take that in or you'll you'll never grow yeah the industry post 2020 supply chain issues have you guys Felt that in yeah, Zildjian, Vic Firth. For sure. It's, it's funny. I, I, I brought up with my boss that I was doing this, and he cautioned me to be cautious. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to be cautious. Okay. I, I think that, yeah, listen, there, there are a handful of guys in the business that do what I do, really, that are good at it. handful of them. Maybe six or eight. Some of them are interesting, really active players, too. Um, and have like way bigger gigs than I have from musical perspective. Um, but I've maintained good friendships and relationships with those guys. And we talk frequently because, you know, we're kind of in that club, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been hard. It's been really, really hard on, on everyone. And it's, you know, we, it's almost like, I feel like supply chain gets overused. Like, I don't even want to use it anymore. It's like, I don't even, I don't want to even use COVID or say pandemic. Like, I don't even want to say it anymore. It's kind of, it's over, but it has been very, very challenging trying to get, um, raw materials for everyone has been tough. Yeah. Uh, trying to find the right amount of labor to build the things, Hmm. no matter whether you build them in the United States or offshore has been tough. Um, you know, then add, I mean, shoot, my Southern California homes in Long Beach, right? Long Beach, one of the biggest ports in the right. United States. And so I get a, a weekly newsletter about what's going on at the ports. It's, it's incredible, you know, how they're much are trying to offload. I would drive down to the coast and, and drive miles and miles and miles down the coast and just see ship after ship after ship after ship. Yeah. Just backed up there. Mm-hmm. So it has been really, really challenging. And, and not just for our industry, not that that makes me feel any better. The rising costs. I uh, got here for this gig, forgot my little mixer. Decided, ah, what I pay like 60 bucks for it? Like, I'll just go buy another one. 129. Same mixer. Same identical mixer. Mm. And so. Did you buy it? No. Okay, good. Thank God. Did you get, did you need, do you need one? <laughs> old Red, Old Red has my identical one, so I just used, I just used there. Okay, good. But, um, <laughs> But but that's a very very big indicator of what's going on, yeah. Right, not just in our business, but across the 
across the board. And so, yes, it has been challenging. Everyone has been impacted and affected. Uh, we, when I, and I say that I mean Zildjian and Vic Firth, we're unbelievably fortunate because we manufacture most everything here. Right. Either in Newport, Maine or in, um, in outside of Boston. And so we're lucky. We're very, very fortunate. And we were lucky through a lot of it, a lot of the pandemic. But, you know, we're, we're all challenged. Do you see a time frame for this or is it just... Oh, my God, I hope so. Yeah. Um, all I can do is read what the experts say. You know, and the experts say, you know, we're looking at at least Q1, Q2 next year. But also, I, I'm involved in a, in a weekly meeting that has everyone from all, all around the world in it. I mean, I'm I'm up at six a.m. and I think the late guy's up at like ten at night or something. Right, <laughs> and we're we still see challenges. I mean, even in Asia, I mean, there's parts of Asia that are closed. They're just now starting to come out of lockdown again, again, yeah. again. I mean, we don't feel it here, right? Like you know, we barely feel it, and um, so I can't imagine thinking of. You know, think of all the companies that are relying on things. I don't care if it's DW or Roland or Yamaha or... Right. Right. Think of all, you know, QSC or at JBL. I mean, all those companies that are relying on a, some sort of component that comes from... Right, right. It, there could be an, an element of that drumhead that you never even considered. And, oh, that... Yeah, You if without that, you don't have the drumhead. I hope that we're coming to an end of it. I hope we're coming out of it. Yeah. It is interesting. Tell me what's going on with these companies, though. Like, what's new with Silton? Because I know there's some new things coming out. Absolutely, yeah. We um, we just got done releasing, um, or will be releasing in early October, um, some new symbols. I'm super stoked with those. You, you know about those, because yeah. you're one of my friendly test guys. You get to test <laughs> some stuff out. Uh, I don't think I can talk about them just yet, because I think they're at the top of October was when they come out. Um, but we have some new things that are really driven by artists and, and driven by the market. And I'm super excited about some of the new things we have coming our way. There's stuff on the website that people can see. Yeah, I would definitely uh, direct people to um, what's called Concept Shop. Yeah. Concept Shop is super cool. It, it's something that we do where we essentially, it's like the weird kind of prototypey things that either uh, the, the couple of new ones we just released, one was Stanton Moore was neck deep in coming out with it. And yeah. the other one was Aaron Spears. Yeah. And these, these are these guys' babies. Mm -hmm. And we um, create a very small amount of them that mm. consumers can buy, but they ha they're required when they buy them to give us their feedback. Okay. So we learn, yeah. and it helps us determine kind of, huh. And there, there's always like kind of clear winners like we'll introduce like four or five models and then they may become part of the 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 family they may right. not right depending upon kind of how the you know people respond to them but the two new ones are kind of kick-ass cool and uh, I'm really excited about those and, and there's some new like stuff that's gonna hit the market in October uh, I think around October 1st uh, yeah around October 1st that I think is gonna be very very exciting for yeah. people so yeah, it, it's, you know, it's, it's symbols, man. It's fun. 
I feel like symbols is one of those areas where there is room for innovation and growth in a way that's different. And maybe snare drums can fall into that category, but not as much as other areas. But like, is there something with Vic Firth that I'm not considering? Um, no. Uh, Here's what I'll tell everybody. Um, be excited about next year. Be excited about next year. And the reason I say that is, you know, the Zildjian company, I, and Again, don't quote me on this one if anybody's listening. <laughs> I think it's the second oldest family-owned company in the United States. It's going to be its 400th anniversary is next year. Yeah. Someone with the Zildjian last name has owned it since 1623. Yeah. So you could and should expect um, really fantastic celebratory things around a 400th anniversary. I, I, I'd hope so. We have our 400th <clears throat> episode. Oh, nice. Coming up here. We've got some exciting things. Wonderful. Planned for that. So yeah, I don't know. Something and then about Vic, that number. I don't have my Vic shirt on. Vic, uh, and I know this date because, or know the year because uh, Vic was started the year I was born. So Vic will be 60. And I'll be 60. I say, it's a great, it's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. Yeah. Zildjian's 400, Vic's 60, I'm 60. It's going to be perfect. It's good. Yeah, you could be 400. That, that would really be tough. That would be amazing. You but, look great for 400. <laughs> <laughs> there will be, uh, there'll be going to be California some living, man. really fun stuff next year for the 400th. I mean, okay. really cool, unique. And, and I'm lucky I get kind of the high 30,000 foot version of it at this point until it becomes real. But just really neat, fun stuff that's going to celebrate. Well, where will people hear? I mean, without Nam being as much of a thing, will there still be a presence at Nam? Will there is there a Chicago drum show, Music City drum show? <clears throat> yeah, I think the drum shows are going to be cool for that stuff. Um, what what's the next Nam? April, I think, is what I saw. Okay, now instead of January. Okay. So we'll, I don't know where that's going to go. You know, it's 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 been so weird. Mm-hmm. The last one was just so weird. And it's, know, one, it's one of those things, like, I, I've done it for 30... I actually snuck in twice. I used my drum instructor's card and snuck in <laughs> twice. So I've done it for 37 times, 37 wow. years. Okay. I missed it once when my son was born. Oh, and the Priorities, Japanese, come on, child. And the Japanese made it very clear that I wasn't allowed to miss it a second time. And they were joking, but they weren't really joking. <laughs> like, next time... The, the line was, next time, not at Nam, John. I go, okay. Um... <laughs> I named my son Yama. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's, so it's going to be interesting to see whether or not we get back to getting back together in those large groups like that again. And, yeah. and I think companies have found other ways to deliver their message. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, you, I, it's interesting because uh, you think of the silver lining in the last few years and what's come out of this. I think you kind of have to just dwell on that. Otherwise, it's depressing. Like how have how is innovation? How is this these challenges bred innovation in the way we create, in the way we communicate, in the way relationships, in the way we work? You know, and and a lot of people who are afraid of changes, you know, they're they're asking a lot of really important questions. Right? Why are we having unemployment problems? Why are we doing this? You know, why why is this why why is this person on YouTube getting all the endorsements? You know, like all right. these questions right. we've kind of been discussing here and, and over the last couple of years, it's like, uh, sometimes things change for the better. It, you know what? It was going to change yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, did this speed it up? Yeah. For sure. 
yeah. w- without question. Yeah. Brought us to a new place. Who, who, you can buy a car without ever interacting with anybody now, right? Online through a number of companies. But, you know, it was going to change yeah. anyway, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. So you can, you can embrace it. You can decide to be part of it. You can decide to figure out. I, I liken it to um, uh, Napster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Napster happened, and what did the records company do? They decided to sue college kids who had no money. <laughs> Dumbest thing on the planet. Nobody mm. tried to figure out how to monetize it mm-hmm. and how to, make, how to make it work. iTunes did. Mm-hmm. They figured out, oh, and, and again, I'm not endorsing iTunes or Spotify or any of those things. I hate it as much as everybody else does. 99 cents for a strong song. The artist gets pennies. It, it's bullshit. It's complete and total bullshit. And it's mm-hmm. why a concert ticket's three hundred dollars, and and you know, because you can get music for free. There's no money in recorded music. Yeah, like I get it, but it doesn't change the fact that it was going to change anyway. And yeah. we can either figure out how to work with it, how to monetize it, how to embrace it, or we can sit around and complain. Mm-hmm. And I just I have no interest. I, I literally have zero interest in the complaining part. Like none. It's it's yeah. It's a waste of energy. Last question: What's happening with the Scotty Mac band for the rest of this year? Any any new well, changes? Well, yeah. Thank you for things? asking that. I appreciate it. Um, well, so first of all, we were a band born in Southern California, and uh, so the relocation has occurred. Scott's here full time. Brian's here full time. I'm still kind of the outlier, jumping back and forth, um, and. So he's, you know, he's in town seeking what's next for him. A lot of new music. It's a, a, unbelievable how prolific he and Brian have been um, during, the, during the downtime. That's great. I mean, it's like kind of crazy. And, um, and plus, I just feel like the level of the songwriting and stuff has just really, really stepped up. It's just been super, super good. So, um, you know, he's obviously seeking a pub deal. He's, you know, he'll be doing a lot of writer's rounds, a lot of things that don't necessarily include me, but a lot of, uh, a lot of playing in town. Um, we've got dates through, through the end of the year, I think. So I think we're in pretty good shape there. Um, but it, it really has transitioned to be a Nashville based band. And I'm unbelievably flattered that, you know, he wanted me as part of the mix. For sure. Because it, you know, I think somebody, I don't know if it was you, one of the guys at Nelson's Drum Shop said to me, just remember the guy who served you coffee, coffee today is a better drummer than you are. <laughs> I was that like, wouldn't have been me, but uh, that's I was like, a good one. But, I, and, and that's there's some absolute reality in that. There's some absolute yeah. truth in that. Yeah. And for, for Scotty and the band to want to make sure that I'm continue to be a part of it is very flattering for me. So uh, I'm, dude, I'm I'm so unbelievably lucky. Like I get to work with the stuff I love. I get to be around. I, I always say I like what I do and I like who I do it for. Mm-hmm. And then I have this whole other family, you know. In Scott and Brian, uh, we started to work with Tripper Ryder. Yeah, and Tripper, and I get this. I get to take the stuff that I sell. Tripper's not the bass player that hates you. He's the one that likes you. He's the one that likes me, actually. Yeah, him and a few, a few other guys do, too. Uh, <laughs> um, and I get to take and use those tools that I sell every day 
to actually make music and be musical. And it, it's, it, it's one of the interesting things about being, you and I talked about being in the business, but trying to be a player within the business. Yeah, I've absolutely had negative experiences where they wanted me to be a musician, but they don't really want me to be a musician. Like mm-hmm. the time and energy it takes and the travel and the things that go along with it. I now work for a particular gentleman and a group of people in a company that supports right. my musical endeavors. Right, right. Yeah, you mentioned that. You're like, no, we we want and you to go work. We, lived, we need this. Yeah, live to play yeah. is one of the mantras of our company. And, and we are actually going to start to do some social media stuff around the people that work in our company That's amazing. that are players. And they're not all drummers. We have guitar players. We have one guy, a front man for a CCR band. That's exceptional. And there's, there is a lot of musicality and there's, there's a lot of cool stuff within the people that work in that organization. Yeah. Amazingly. And, and as well, there should be. It just makes sense. You would think, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, our, our guy in Europe played um, Live Aid with Adam Ant. Oh, that's cool. Two, he, he, they estimate two million people saw that performance. Yeah, yeah. Way more than I've ever played. <laughs> so, but that's, yeah, that's what's going on with the band. The band is is really transitioning and, and you know, looking for its opportunity. I, we all, we all know that this is tough. We all know that's hard. You say, I, I'm lucky and, and, and just taking stock of that. And, and I feel like that word is it, just a... It's a loose interpretation of where you're at with life because what in our conversation, you've brought up many things that I think are important to consider when people are talking about being lucky or whatever, being happy with what's going on in life and, and, you know, perseverance, patience, um, asking the right questions, um, being a friend, uh, just not letting things get in your way, not letting your own self get in the way. There's right. so much to take away from that. I think it's really healthy to say, man, I'm, I'm lucky I'm doing this thing. And yeah, I think there is a lot of that that is involved. But It comes after a absolute shit ton of hard work. There you go. You know, that, that doesn't change. But you do have to take those minutes. You know, I think I told you we, we did an opening slot for Brett Young and sold out show at a winery in California. And I just spent the whole time looking around, going, mm-hmm. you know, I, I go back to that thing you do. Like, how did we get here? Like, <laughs> I brought you here, you know. Uh, but I remember looking around and thinking to myself, I'm just some stupid sales guy from Long Beach. Like, what? Like, how did I get here? Like, what happened? And just taking some stock and and just being grateful and... You know, it, it's it it, ch- it changes your dynamic when you can pull some of that out of it because it course. is hard, and we are away from our families, and yeah. and it takes a lot of time. And in you know, I always say, I get home and my wife goes, "The dog, the dog poop needs to be picked up in the backyard." And I'm like, oh, "I was just a rock star," I just did, you know. And she's like, "Yeah, rock star. The uh, dog poop needs to be picked up. In the backyard. It still needs to be picked up." <laughs> and it's that, and that's that being that humbleness of like, "Oh yeah, that's right." Do you remember that Saturday Night Live episode when uh, Natalie Bertinelli was the guest and Van Halen 
Where's the where the and so uh, it was uh, night at the Van Halens dinner with the Van Halens <laughs> and there's Eddie and Valerie <laughs> and they're eating at this you know and and there's roadies running around picking up the fork that fell on the floor you know <laughs> it was just it's so absurd right because it is absurd yes and I love it when you're on the road and, and somebody says where are you guys going next uh, going back to Nashville oh what are you doing well I have to mow my lawn right mm-hmm. uh, pick up my kid. <laughs> right, yeah. I think I got a flat, a flat tire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the, one of my, and I, if I've got time for one more quick story. So I'm working at PV, and that was when the 5150 amps came out. Yeah. Right? Eddie stuff. So we're getting feedback from the dealers that these things are friggin' heavy, right? They're 212s, they're 212 cabin components that were heavy. They're very heavy. Why doesn't it have wheels? And it was like, well, Eddie didn't really want it to have wheels. Like, he didn't want wheels on it. So I said, well, let, at least go to him and see, you know, if he's mm-hmm. cool with there's wheels on it. So we ask Eddie, and Eddie is very dumbfounded by why it would need wheels until it takes one of us to, to realize, oh, Eddie hasn't carried an amp. No. And like, 20 years like he doesn't understand it that it's heavy like he gets there and the amps are on stage and they're all ready to go like for the regular guy that's putting in the back of his car like wheels are like important right 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 right. and that's one of those stories it's perspective yeah thank you i think that's the word we should we should be pitching is it's perspective get in the right perspective and and understand that man if what you and i get to do day Mm -hmm. to day Mm -hmm. i've already done more than most of the guys I know in this business will ever do musically. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't want more. Doesn't mean I don't strive for more. Doesn't yeah. mean I don't want Scott to have the ultimate amount of success and me get to go with him. Sure. But damn, when you yeah, first time playing in front of eight thousand folks, that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, and and it 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 can be taken for granted if you're not careful. Very very much so. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, thank you, man. It's been awesome. Thanks for kind of just following me down this path. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have some folks listen to it and see if I got my ass in any trouble. But uh, but th- seriously, man, thank you for having me. And and I said about the relationship part, ship part you know, I uh, I look forward to continued relationship with you. It's yeah, been man. a lot of fun and and uh, to get to know you and um, and not only that, I really really enjoy your playing. I really yeah, enjoyed thanks, the man. opportunity to get there and watch you play and, and your interpretation on the music that you're playing that particular night. We're all doing. And I yeah. um, uh, hope I can continue to, you know, feed you some surprises to play and try. Yay. Oh, I'm all about that, man. <laughs> John, thank you so much. See ya. So there you have it, my conversation with John Geiger. John's one of those guys that I have met more recently, and uh, he was just a very approachable person. And it's a reminder of how this industry works, whether it's the music products industry or performance or studio or any aspect of the music industry is built upon honest relationships and honest friendships. And some people click and some people don't. And uh, But John makes himself very available as someone to talk to, uh, relate to, and uh, really enjoyed uh, speaking with him and looking forward to to getting to know him and add him to uh, my list of people in my community 
that uh, I really value and uh, benefit from in being in this uh, crazy industry. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with drummer Clint DeGannon. He's a New York City guy, session player, and Broadway drummer. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, be well, and uh, hope to see you around. Bye-bye.